You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Episode 26 of Archaeology and Ale, a free monthly public archaeology talk brought to you by Archaeology in the City, the community outreach program from the University of Sheffield's Department of Archaeology. The talks take place at the Red Deer, a popular pub on Pitt Street here in Sheffield, near the Archaeology Department. It is a busy place, so there might be some background noise in our recordings. This month, our guest speaker is Ken Dash, here to tell us about iconic Sheffield building, Mearsburg Hall. started in, I think, November 2016. Uh, I'd given a guided tour of Bishop's House to these um, building studies students from Howard University, and they were going on to Mears Recall, which is only just um, passed from Sheffield City Council to Ely Development Trust, so I, I tagged along so I can pretend to be a lecturer because I've got grey hair. <laughs> so I sort of sneaked in, and uh, I met Rhianne over there, and I, after a while, she showed us around, and I said, do you want me to do a, a survey of the building? They said, oh, yes, please. So... This is the result of the survey. I've surveyed the building physically, then I've started to do what's a lot more interesting, which is to interpret it. So there are big gaps in our knowledge still. So this is a bit of a tryout. Now I'll tell you about the big gaps. It, it's I've got the rough story of the history of the building, but as I said, there are gaps. Right, see, this, this instrument works. Oh, good. Uh, that's me as recall. If you live in Sheffield, you might know, I know that lot do because they've been there. Um, it's in Mearsbrook Park, which is just off Chesterfield Road. It's a beautiful building. Uh, the hall itself is that bit there. In fact, this is a good time to just go through what I'll go through later. The hall itself is that, 1759. That was added in 1819. That is earlier, and that is even earlier, as I'll show you. I discovered this while I, while I was... Um, Looking at the building, I said this is at least a four or five phase building, and probably no one knew what I was talking about, but archaeologists are trained to look at a building, not as a whole, but to, to break it down. Oh, God. <laughs> this is from Google Maps. It's there. That's the railway line going south from the town centre. Uh, almost parallel is Chesterfield Road, which goes down there. That's Mearsbrook Park, and the hall is then. Um, yeah. Um, someone sent me this lovely drone photo. There's there's Mearsbrook Hall there in Mearsbrook Park, and that's Brook Road, and there's Chesterfield Road going there out of town. That's the edge of the Peak District there, just to give it a bit of a setting, really. So what I did, um, I planned the hall in. There's, I did it at 1 to 50. I couldn't possibly do it at 1 to 20. It would be too ridiculous. Uh, it's about 60 metres long and about um, something like 20 metres wide, something like that, 15 metres wide. Really, it's two buildings. That's the, that's the 1759 bit, the 1819 extension. That's the pre-1759 brick building. And this is, yeah, this is interesting. This is a, an aisled barn, part of which is now missing, as you'll see. This bit's been filled in. I'll go through this in more detail, but while we've got the plan, it's, it's easy to look at it. 
That's the ground floor, that's the upper floor. There's a bridge between the two buildings there, I'll go to that more detail later. Uh, that's the wall elevations, which uh, that window there is horrifying. I nearly, uh, nearly actually wiped through the permatrace doing it. It's so difficult to render it. And that's the hall itself. And this is the other building, which is sometimes called Meersbrook Park House, I think in the 1901 or 1911 census returns. It's, it's got no other name. The whole thing is called Meersbrook Hall, but it's uh, three of two structures. This building here is odd because on this is the other side of it. It's, there's, that's the modern uh, door, which it, it, it looks dreadful. It's, I hope they knock it down soon. It's, it's a 1950s brick. But behind it, you can just see a blocked up door. And that door leads straight to a staircase to the first floor. But there are six other doors to this building, two there on the opposite side and four there. You don't need seven doors, at least, you know, unless you're going to live in cells like hermits or something. Someone once said, I think it's a good theory, that the other six uh, were stable doors. So I suspect people were living up above with this door leading to a staircase and living quarters up above. And the other four are stable doors now blocked up and repurposed as, as doors and as windows. So the building was built by Benjamin Roebuck, who's one of Sheffield's first bankers, uh, investor in the Karen Ironworks, uh, started by his brother John. But um, no one could give me an exact date, and I think I've got more of a clue of it now. I found an old map, or an old sketch map, I should say, in the archive library, and then came across some clues. And that's the sketch map. It's almost impossible. Uh, so what I did, I traced over it, leaving off all the measurements, and you get that. Uh, but it's... Upside down, north is at the top. If you live in the area, you'll know that this squiggly bit here is the Mears Brook. So I flipped it so north is at the top, and we can interpret it better. Then I reinstated the, um, the field names, and lo and behold, we've got this isolated brick building there, and this says barn, which I think is the uh, stone structure next to it. It's all there. And this thing, he's, com he's completely sort of collapsed the uh, topography, is the, uh, the Sheffield to Derby Road. And I think this is why Meersbrook Hall is where it is. This is a, a later map. Um, sorry, I should go back. There we are. What this says here, the sketch by Fairbanks, dated 2nd of May 1759, and it says, somewhere at the top, Benjamin Roebuck's purchase in Meersbrook. So it's, it's a sketch map. It was never made into a map, showing the land that he bought up. This is a slightly later map. There's a sketch map of this, but it's made to a proper map 1770, after the hall had been built. That's the, there it is, it's a bit clearer here. That's the Sheffield to Derby coach road. It goes south, south, south. I've got a map of 1724, which shows it. I've got a map of 1739 and 1741, which shows it. It's quite an old road. I think it was a horse, cart, horse and cart track. It's finally metal, not with tarmac, obviously, but metal as well as they could do in those days. And what's interesting, it was metal in, in uh, 1756, just three, year, three years before. I suspect, this is my theory, that the reasons he built his hall, where he built his hall, is there were farm buildings already there, right next to it, which could be repurposed, perhaps, or used as farm buildings, or as servants' quarters, and they had this wonderful road which could get the building materials. I was in the archive library uh, on Tuesday, and uh, I asked one of the librarians, is anyway there are any brick kilns in Sheffield because it's a brick-built structure. Uh, she said, no, the record's just too long ago, unfortunately, so we've lost that. I thought it might be interesting to find out where the bricks came from. 
because you do wonder why did he build it of brick? I mean, all the nearby large buildings were stone-built at this time. It's, I suspect the simple answer is he was showing off. He was rich, he was a landowner, he was a banker, a merchant, and he had the money and he wanted to show off by building this, this building of brick. And brick, obviously, you have to go through an industrial process to do it. Stone, if you quarry underneath this building or any other building in Sheffield for about a metre and a half, you'll come to solid sandstone bedrock, which you can quarry and build a house out of. But brick is an industrial process. But yeah, I suppose he had the money to do it with. This is a 1724 map, and there's the Sheffield to Derby Road. She is called Derbyshire Lane. I don't know what these two buildings here are. They might be the early buildings put on the, you know, mapped on the wrong side of the road, because it should be there. But Musborough Call, I don't know exactly where it is. It's about here, but not built for a few decades yet. And there's a blow-up of the 1770 map, House, that, that's how they write um, S's in the 18th century. There's the original isolated brick building, and there's the Isle Barn, but there's also other buildings here. Um, gardens, baths, ponds, and there, it's very faint in this blow-up, is the Sheffield to Derby Turnpike Road. You can just see the edge of it there. Built in 1756, so you had good access to a route into Sheffield that way and to Derbyshire that way if you wanted to. And this is my guess, this is why the hall is built, where it was built, and we now have a date, after May 1759 it was built. It's not yet on the, on the 2nd of May 1759 now. So, the first buildings um, were this stone-built structure, sometimes called Mearsbrook Park House, and this is, the, this is the building with the seven doors, and you can see two of them here, now blocked up and repurposed as windows. And, and that's that building there, here, is an Isle Barn. This bit was filled in in the 1980s. You can just see the edge bit there. This bit here is that bit there, and it goes back, across, and back. But this is now removed, as you'll see later. Uh, I measured the size of the upper floor. It provides about 160 square meters of living space. Being a geeky person, I measured the living space in my house, and it comes to, I think, 98 square meters. I just live in one of these ordinary stone-built terrace houses, so plenty of room for a family upstairs. But the other, the other odd thing is, this is, um, this is a really solidly built building, and the building next to it, built later, also very solidly built. It means this is more than you need for just farm buildings. It's a mystery. Why are they built so, so well, so solidly? One clue might be, and we don't know yet, I don't know if I'll ever be able to find out, who uh, owned the land that Benjamin Roebuck uh, bought, you know, bought up to build the hall. The Shaw family, who the robots knew, were rich, even richer landowners and owned a lot of the surrounding land. And maybe this is some elaborate farm building, maybe stables for horses, maybe the horse fanciers. I don't know. Whether, you know, this is one of these things to find out later, if there's any records at all. Right, this is the other elevation of that building. Now, if this is the barn, which is what I suspect it was, all these windows have been inserted later. That's the modern fire escape door, and you can just see the blocked up door there, and it leads straight up staircase to the upper floor. I think, as I said, this is what I think was the living quarters downstairs with stables, but then that would imply that all these windows here have been knocked through after they were stables no more. Uh, you can see a lot of the, the lintels in these windows are very, very new. I think the council have done some work in the 1980s. You can almost not see this um, elevation of the building. From this time of the year onwards, it's almost hidden by vegetation until about November or December. Yeah, these are these doors are blocked up now. They're enormous and elaborate. And the other thing is that between 
this stone built structure and the brick built structure is very narrow. It's only about 0.9 of a meter there. So if a horse was coming out of there or here, it would bang its poor head before its tail was out of the building. <laughs> I, I, this is a supposition, but it does imply that this building went out of use as stables before this building was built because you know you just couldn't use them you couldn't use this as stables at the same time just because you could literally not get a horse out of here and that gives us some depth in time because we don't know when this was built we don't know when this was built right the next phase is, is this i've said this isolated brick building which is here Again, it's very elaborate. It's also brick, which is very elaborate for a farm building. It's pre-1759, because the hall, which is 1759, is there. there. Uh, why build it out of brick? Who's got the money for this? This is, this is pre-Benjamin Roebuck. This is the mystery that I have yet to solve. Anyone wants to help me with the I just don't know. Um, so we're still in the middle of the 18th century. I mean, how much earlier this building is, and how much earlier this building is than that building, the mysteries. The only hint I had, sorry, uh, that's the hall. Um, that's Mirzra Hall itself. This is the building Roebuck built in 1759. It's got this. But um, you can just see it here. There's a, there's a window there, and that is actually blocked up partially by this building, which gives us the stratigraphy, if you like, that this building here was earlier than this one because it's, it's embedded in it. Uh, this is the original. Uh, 1759 doorway, which is now inside the building, unfortunately. Yeah, someone said it's a Venetian-style window. I don't know. I must look this up. Uh, it's sadly it's decaying. This, this thing's falling away here. It needs restoration. In fact, about three million pounds worth of restoration of her. And this is the reverse side of it. Again, you can only just see this at this time of the year. You begin to lose sight of it now because the vegetation at the north end uh, grows up around it, but it's, it's quite a beautiful picture. Unfortunately, it never gets a sun because of the, the angle it's built on. But that's the 1759 building there. That's the 1819 extension there. That's a bit of the pre-1759 stuff there. <laughs> this is underground. You don't get to see very much. It's a lovely 18th century barrel vaulted cellar. It's now got all the um, electrical work and everything. There's a nice drainage channel there. I had trouble planning this in because I did it not the winter gone, but the one before. And it was about 30 or 40 centimeters deep in water with all the snow we had when it was melting. But that dark tunnel there is this here, and it's a lovely, um, you know, if you look in pub cellars, you get these two sloping things with the steps in between. They roll barrels down it. Obviously, this is for the barrels, and this is people just stand in between and slowly go down. Um, if you know your history, very few people drank water this time unless they, they couldn't help it because, you know, there's no clean water. It's bacteria laden. What they would do is brew what they call small beer, very, very weak beer. Uh, and it's probably kept in the cellar. It might be possible to actually measure the size of the barrels from that. So, Roebuck moved to Mearsbrook Hall. Um, this is whole family, very briefly, I'm not going to read it all out. This is wife Elizabeth Camden, their children. He didn't live there for very long. 1769, just ten years after, Elizabeth died. And in 1770, he launched the Sheffield Bank. It wasn't the first Sheffield Bank, it was one of the very earliest, in partnership with John Shaw and John Parker. By 1778, he'd sold his share to the Shaw family, who, uh, they lived mainly a little further up, uh, Norton, East Norton area. The crisis overcame his brother, Dr. John Roebuck, and he started the Carron Ironworks in Ayrshire, which is really the biggest um, ironworks in Scotland, perhaps one of the biggest in Britain at this time, is remember this time, we're talking at the very beginning of the Industrial Revolution. 
Sheffield, as you can see, is just a, a tiny little village, a small town, if you like, of 12,000. It had yet to be this enormous steel city a century later. So Roebuck married a second time to Helena Maxwell. Um, has anyone heard of James Clark Maxwell? Deathly silence. Have you heard of Albert Einstein? <laughs> yeah, of course you have, yeah. Well, Maxwell uh, actually gave Einstein one of the clues to the theory of relativity. He's this forgotten genius of the, of the Victorian age. Look him up. He found the relationship between electricity and magnetism, what we now call electromagnetic theory, which gave Einstein one of the clues, along with um, Nicholson-Morley experiments, speed of light, um, which fused together, I think it was in 1905, into the theory of relativity. Yeah, there's all these famous connections that kept coming around. Uh, so Robert was retired to a house in Portland Place in Bath. He died in 1796. Then he sold it to the Shaw family. Uh, they lived for there a lot longer, presumably from 1778 until Larson died in 1864. As I said, in 1819, the building was extended, uh, probably by the Roebucks. And the wall garden was built to the south, provided for the family's needs. This is quite a familiar thing. Rather than get your groceries in Sheffield, you're rich enough, you enclose an area and employ gardeners to, to do everything. Um, a chap called Cactus Leach, he helps run the, the wall garden now. It still runs as a, a voluntary thing. It's very beautiful. I think it's open one Sunday every month. It's worth going around there. Got some amazing Victorian greenhouses. Uh, but he said it was built by 1820, which fits with this 1819 extension. So it would be entirely rural. So to some extent, you've got to rely on your local resources. Uh, so the Midland Railway wasn't built until 1870, which is a century on. In 1843, uh, the, the bank which Benjamin Roebuck's, uh, sorry, the Shores started with, Ro uh, with Roebuck, collapsed. It was a banking scandal. Basically, the Shaw family uh, said, oh, this bank has got millions in it. We're not as rich as we think we are, but uh, we can use the bank as a, as a loan. And this is what they did. They, they basically drew money out of their own bank, which others were investing into, to prop up their rich lifestyle. And it all came to a halt in 1853. As far as I can find out, none of them were ever jailed or particularly criticized. It was just, you know, among these these gentlemen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but he, he had to sell off about 2,000 acres, and I think that's how he escaped. Uh, but there's a big change. The last time the Shores had died, Sheffield was being transformed by the late 1840s to a large industrial town. So from the 18th century to the 19th century, this massive shift from a small market town, about 12,000, to a big industrial or pre industrial town with a population of 200,000. This is the 1805 map, and that's me as recall there. If you remember that 1770 map, there were fields everywhere. I think the fields went out of use, and basically he used this area, which had fields in it before, as his own private back garden, really. Uh, one thing we must investigate, I'm not sure if it's this building there, there's another one up here somewhere. It's called the Groom's House, it was built in 1767. I, f I found it, Rianne, it's number 41, Misra Park Road. We must write them a letter and ask yeah. them if they can give us any details. That's, that's one on it. There might be stuff there we can't yeah. find out. So again, that's Chesterfield Road going down there, Darkshire Lane there, that's the sheath. That's the Mears Brook, which is culverted into a drain, I think, about 1962. But yeah, it's, you can see how rural this is. Sheffield is above the ceiling on this scale, it's about you know, three, three or four kilometres that way. And it's very, very rural. The turnpike line has been moved a bit by this point, hasn't it? 
But yes, the, the, so that, 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 yeah, the road that went through there, the, the 1756 road, in 1794, they found it was too steep to go up. So they, they built in um, Chassis Road and Derbyshire Lane to let the coaches go up. And even that wasn't very good, but they couldn't. You're just dealing with very steep countryside. It's not a great deal you can do. That's probably why I'm so arthritic trying to get up. My <laughs> yeah, I live about there. Um, so 1819, as I have said, the hall was extended. That's the 1819 extension. Uh, these grills uh, are quite recent. They're not uh, even in, in the 1950s. There aren't any photographs. Perhaps they put in the 60s when the council took it over. Uh, this is a map I found in the library. It's beautiful. It's called Twenty Miles Around Mansfield. You can see Sheffield just on the edge. If you measure it, you can. Um, before I became arthritic eighteen months ago, you could walk from here across Sheffield to here, from open countryside to open countryside, in about twenty or twenty-five minutes. That's what Sheffield was in eighteen thirty-four. It was still quite small. Uh, and Nearsrock Hall is. Is it up there? There it is. Way out in the country, look at all the fields. It's just Sheffield was just a market town. None of that big industrial base which started in the 1850s and 60s. Uh, so very little change for quite a long time. There's this bridge there, which is put between them. I presume it's so the servants could have access, you know, to scoot across for the food and other things. And their masters rang the bell. This bit was filled in. This bit was put in. Um, Uh, for several decades, the main occupants of the hall were the Shaw sisters. Um, these amazing names, Eurith Lydia, Amelia Theophilia, and Maria Theodosia. Um, where are they? Eurith Lydia, there they are. These are all the servants. This is the 1855 census. Between 1836 and 1842, their brother, Offley Shaw, as I said, he used the Park of Shaw's bank accounts. To honour his father's bequest to the family, he paid each of them £10,000, basically out of the bank's assets. He hadn't got the money to do it, so he just drew out of the bank. Like you were out and go to the bank and say, I need ten grand, please, which is probably about half a million in today's money. And they said, yeah, of course you can. And they just gave it to him, but he just took it. And it led to the banking collapse. And nowadays, these people would be jailed, probably. I think it says... Landlord occupier or something there. They, they never needed to work and they didn't. I'd love to get some pictures of them, but uh, just in the edge of photography becoming popular. So after Eurith Lydia, the last of them died. Um, oh, sorry, back one. Yes, another one of these links I found. Uh, they were childhood friends with Florence Nightingale, who was also one of the Shores, very distant relative. Yeah, there must be this interconnectivity between. These middle class people in this time period, they all seem to know each other. I think it's sort of a couple of generations back. Really? Where they because there were various Samuel Shaw and one of them. Oh, I found six went, Samuel Shaws. Uh, yes, it's been kind of confusing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> was it seven? I'm not sure, something like that. I, I think, and I think <laughs> she was short. on one of the other branches. Yeah, she was. Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, and was it Tapton Hall? Yeah, I think yeah. So after Eurus died, uh, the estate uh, was rented to a lawyer, William Ashley Miller. That's the email we got today. I, yeah, I think they're completely different. Yeah, I think so. Email. Sorry, we're chatting away. It's, it's, it's all, <laughs> we're learning as we go along. Uh, he was a justice of the peace for the West Riding of Yorkshire and also a Derbyshire magistrate. He died in October 1884. And his family moved to doors. You can actually look him up on the internet. There's, there's no pictures of him, but his 
descendants. I think one of his grandchildren died during the First World War. And from 1890, his estate passed to a syndicate of London stockbrokers. Oh, boring. <laughs> Land allotment company. Sorry, sorry for the stockbroker. <laughs> so this is the 1875 map, and it's still very rural. Um, the the Midland Railway is just off there. That was put in in February 1870. That's Chesterfield Road. That's Mearsbrook Hall there. And you can see it still feels all around. The modern roads aren't there. That's the uh, that's the walled garden which was built in 1820 to basically to service the place. Uh, a lot of these walled gardens, if you ever go there, and the inside it's been removed now. They would have had cast iron piping. Uh, and hot water would be channeled through it. You create a small microclimate. You can you can um, grow stuff, you know, through a much greater growing season than, than Sheffield would normally allow. So by eighteen seventy five, Sheffield's population was two hundred forty thousand. The big change came, I think, in the mid eighteen fifties. Not with the Midland Railway, which was put in eighteen seventy, but the earlier railway, which connected to the Victoria Station, which is now defunct. I think that's sometime in the eighteen fifties. As soon as that came in, you saw this sudden. If you look at the population uh, graph, the sudden kink in it, that's what they could bring in all the materials. That's where you get all the big steel mills in Brightside and Atticliffe. Anyhow, so just going down the road a bit, just to give you a little extending, a few hundred metres, you can see this is the Red Lion pub on Chesterfield Road, probably about the time the railway was put in, because you can, I think that says wood seats there. Uh, this, is the, this is the Chesterfield Road, which have gone off towards... Um, Chesterfield and Derby and so on. Pub is still there. The beer's not as good as here. <laughs> Horse bus service started in 1877. Horse drawn tram service. That service was soon to be replaced because in 1870, that's, that's probably there's lots of garlands there. That's maybe the first railway train into and out of Sheffield. That's Healy Railway Station, which is now closed down in 1870, and that's it in 1902. And you get a big change. If you look at the census returns for all the servants at Mears Hall, most of them come from Sheffield or very locally, and suddenly in the 1871 census, just a year after this railway was put in, they're coming from much, much further afield because they have access by the railway to transport. And between 1898, it's there in the 1898 map and gone in the 1905 map, that aisle of the old is missing. You can just see it there. It's only in about two of the old Victorian photographs. It's gone. It's, it's no longer there. <coughs> it's not apparent. <laughs> right, this is the 1894 map. Um, yes, you can still see the Isle Barn there. It's still there. It's still very, very rural. They're um, locking in the streets yet to be. Ooh, where's our old house, Lucy? It's around there. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I live there and no, I live there. <laughs> Sheffield's population is about 325,000, and the hall is about to lose its rural setting. This is a big change since 1905. All the streets are suddenly in. That's, I think, Healy Railway Station just off there. It's the Midland Railway Line, which is still used if you're going between Sheffield and London. Um, yeah, all the streets are in. Um, let me find my house there somewhere. Mearsbrook Park is still there. What happened was, um, in 18. 49, 1850, the Shaw family, after the, the banking scandal, were forced to sell off about, as I said, about 2,000 acres of land. And, uh, yeah, they did so. Uh, I'm missing something. No, sorry, yeah. 
I've gone forward a few decades to my own life. Um, that's how they survived. The, the land was sold off parcel by parcel. Sheffield Corporation, which is an early version of Sheffield City Council, bought up, I think, about 34 acres. They were going to make it into a housing estate, but there's a public outcry. People said you need a park. So in 1880... It was 1887. Yeah, 17th of September, I think, 1887, it opened as a park. And there it still is. And we love it. This is a 1905 map. You can see the... There's the... The Isle Barn, and one Isle's gone now. They knocked it down. There's the rest of the building. It's now called the Ruskin Museum, which we'll come to now. Oh, that's that. A uh, picture of the, the other side of the hall, the north elevation taken about 1900. And from 1890 until 1953, uh, after the, uh, the solicitors, the Ashley family moved on, and the sister's family and uh, sort of the Musebrook Hall became the Ruskin Museum. Uh, John Ruskin, he's one of the principal art patrons, critics, writers and collectors of the Victorian period. From 1875 to 1890, the collection was in a big house in Walkley, but it moved here. Ruskin apparently wanted a rural setting. Uh, and he got it. You can just see the ceiling there. Is there. It's still visible. The council hasn't damaged everything. And unfortunately, it damaged a lot. Uh... Yes, very kindly lent these photographs to scan. Um, gives you an idea of what it was like just over a century ago. 130 years ago now, I suppose. Yeah. There's John Ruskin. Um, there's loads of there's books on John Ruskin. You can look up on Wikipedia. I'm talking about the hall, not John Ruskin. So I don't touch on him. I can't find this on picture Sheffield, so it must be from someone's individual collection. In 1941 and 40... Yeah, the barrage balloon in Mizrock Park. Twelve men were built at Musrock Hall uh, to stop a barrage balloon in the park, keep watch for enemy aircraft, and despite the war in 1942, over 30,000 people visited the hall. Uh, they were disbanded, I think, in 1942, probably because the, the Luftwaffe threat was thought to be over, and a lot of them, the barrage balloons were moved south. Um, yeah, so there they were. I'd like to know who they were. Were they local people? There's also a, an account of... Um, a lookout being kept for German aircraft from the top of Mirzrak Hall. And if you go into the attic, there's a blocked up staircase to the roof. So I wonder if that was, you know, where someone climbed up to the roof and perhaps looked with binoculars for German aircraft during the 1940s. Uh, this is a picture of the hall possibly taken in the 1950s, just, you know, looking in detail at the clothing over here. It looks much the same as it looks now, except um, there's a window here now. So the, the last sort of addition uh, of construction is in 1986. The council added this bit here, and they added that, that horrible uh, fire door on the other side. Uh, the Ruskin collection moved in 1953. The hall was left vacant. Sheffield Council took over Mirzrock Hall in 1960. There may have been seven years when there's no one there. It was boarded up. I thought up. they moved in straight away. No, no, not from my I found an account which said they moved in February 1960. Oh, right. Yeah, I'll email it to you if you want. Oh, yeah. And in 1986, the courtyard of the old barn, that's this bit, was filled in. There it is. Uh, provide more office space. And in 2016, the council moved its parks and recreation department out. The hall was handed to Ely. Development Trust, which is where we are at the moment. So that's the history of the hall. Um, there's a few gaps, but I'm getting there. I think we've got the basic sequence of the construction right. I'd like to get dates for the very earliest bits, but uh, there might be a clue, which I'll come to in a minute. But So what survived of the many changes? And for the answer, it's almost nothing. It's dreadfully bland inside. Obviously, the whole of it's been painted 
dreaded English color magnolia. Um, it's it's a wonderful building to look around. I think we're going to do. Is it in September? We want to do some guided tours. So, yeah. Yeah. So we'll take you around if you want to turn up. Uh, but in the attic, some stuff survives. It, it's almost cut off from the rest of the building. We found this um, this beautiful drop handle, and by pure coincidence, I promise you, it is. I was helping excavate in um, Castleton last year, an old hall Castleton, we found almost an identical one on the dig. Uh, these end, this is probably, you know, this is 1759, it probably dates from then, and we think this is probably early 19th century, so slight evolution in style. Uh, this is quite boring, unless you're a geeky person like me. Hinges actually have, like clothing, hinges have a, a fashion. You can actually try, these are at Bishop's House nearby if you come there, and I can show you 17th century versions of these for 18th century. And you can actually date them roughly just by the slight difference in style, using some blacksmith of older style. <coughs> and um, unfortunately, I can only squeeze my iPhone in here, I couldn't get a proper camera, but there's a beautiful 18th century fire grate there. Um, I suppose again it's 18th century. And that's the window on the solitary brick-built 18th century building before the hall itself. And there's a hint, only a hint from a book I've got, that this is about 1700. It's the only, it's not good, it's the only dating evidence I've got of when that building might have been built. Yeah, I mean, I think if the hall was 1759, this is pre-1759, and the stone structures is pre-that, you only have to go back a few decades before you're into the 17th century, but we don't know. And I'd love to know. It, it's um, being archaeologists, these, these sort of things gnaw at us until we go frantic and have sleepless nights. Uh, this is two views of the central staircase. But again, I'm assuming it's you know, 1759. That's the inside of that beautiful main window. Someone tell me the name of it. I need to know. Yeah. That's the bay window on the north side. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, everything's, oops, sorry. everything's white now. It's dreadful. I don't know, you know, whatever beautiful colours it might have been, they've gone, the castle just painted over the whole lot. We, we photographed this, we tried to decipher this, but perhaps it says BR for Benjamin Roebuck or S, SS for Samuel Shaw, I can't tell. Uh, that's inside the entrance portico where you go in now. Um, I've seen this, it's probably late 19th century, so maybe it dates from when it was Ruskin. They're, they're, they're basically, they're, they try and emulate an earlier style, but I think they're, they're great. And <laughs> I'm dredging at things here, gas taps. There's so little left visible in the hall of the original structure. I presume these were added about 1900, because all, all our house when we lived on Brook Road was 1903, so I presume that the, the streets nearby were attached to the local supply about then, because our house was actually derelict when we moved in, and we found the old gas taps buried in the wall, and that's only about 100 metres away from the hall, so I'm presuming this dates from the turn of the 20th century. Ah, this is my major discovery. Um, the stone-built structure, I planted it in February of last year, during that, that really cold winter, and even with electric lighting on, I didn't see any of this. But even when I went back in September of last year, <coughs> to check a few errors, I saw these uh, timber beams, these strange markings. Now, I've surveyed um, Bishop's house. We've got over 100 um, what's called ritual protection marks, witches' marks, and these aren't them. These are far, far different. Um, these are what are called, according to a friend of mine, Baltic shipping marks. They indicate the building's roof with imported timber, but when? They can be as early perhaps as the 17th century, can be lovely, or perhaps uh, re-roofed later. Basically, by then, 
by this time period. Timber was becoming scarce, and a lot of it was imported from Russia, Latvia, Estonia on barges, or sometimes dragged behind ships on, on, on the sea itself. That's presumably brought up the Humber and eventually made it way to its way to Sheffield. These are like an early version of what we now call barcodes, the, the destination marks. It's probably in some shipping code we can't interpret now, or lost. It says, you know, bring this to Sheffield or whatever. There are almost all the timbers. Um, in fact, there's one there. It's the only one we found up in the roof void, and you can see it. it's not very clear. I tried to enhance the contrast, but that's as much as I could get out of it. And that's what they look like. Um, these two are almost identical. I suspect they must have, you know, this probably means, you know, send this to Sheffield or something like that. They're very, very odd. That's all the timbers we could find them on. Uh, I've got a friend, a friend, Andy Benton, who's a Peak Park Ranger, who studies all this stuff. And he's the one who told me they're Baltic shipping marks. He's passing it on to a friend of his who studied these. I'm hoping for, um, perhaps I'll give this talk again sometime in the future. Uh, I'll know more. It'd be wonderful if they were 17th century. We could confirm that stone built structure was there then. We shall see. And that's the, the timber beams. That's where they are. So that's the outline of the history. Uh, people live, uh, there's gaps in my knowledge. This is, this is, as I said, this is the first talk I've, give, I've given on this. And there's still gaps. So still to do is who else lived in the hall? I want to find out more about the ordinary people. I've got their names from the census returns, but I haven't yet gone into them. Uh, I can probably, you know, from ancestry.com or something, look up the baptism, marriage, burials. But you know, sometimes you get people who, who put family trees on the internet. I found one or two from Bishop's house, and hopefully I'll find out more. I don't want to just have it about the posh people, the Roebucks and, and so on, and the Shores, the Pashleys. These people deserve their life stories as much as we can ever get it, to be told. Then there are all these unidentified outbuildings. Uh, I suspect they were just small wooden structures, temporarily as office buildings, perhaps as bars, perhaps as stables. We don't know, and that's the one thing I think I may well fail. I don't think we'll ever know that. Who were the barrage balloon crew? I'd love to know that. Um, a lot of them were women. A lot of them were men out of service age who couldn't you know, fight on the front line during the war, but they could nonetheless do this. I think they actually tested women to see if they had the physical capability to wind the barrage balloon up and down, because it is, apparently it's quite difficult physically, and they were not sure if women could do it. There's good stuff on the internet about the barrage balloons at Norton, but it doesn't give me any names, unfortunately. And the big thing I'd love to know is who did Benjamin Roebuck buy up the land for in 1759? That might date those earlier buildings. We find a landowner, something like that. Again, a lot of the records just, they may never have been given. They may be destroyed by now. I don't know if I'll succeed, but that's the one thing I'd love to find out. Uh, this one, I think I've failed at as of yet, uh, day before yesterday. I asked the archivist in the archive library. It'd be nice if I thought if I'd find a ledger which said, oh, Benjamin Book. Roebuck purchased this on such and such a date. That'd give me an actual date for the hall, and maybe that earliest brick building as well, but she said there's just no records left. It's just too early. There are brick quarries here and there, but um, no records of who uh, you know, the bricks quarried for. I mean, there are other buildings on the estate. Uh, I, I was walking past this thing on Middlebrook Park Road, this woman's walking up, and I said, oh, when's your building, when's your house built? She said, I've just moved in. It's called the Groom's House. It was built in 1767. So, um, yeah, I need to write to her and ask if she knows any more, because it's also on the estate, and it may provide us with more information.
And of course, is it possible to arrange uh, trace the origin of those marked timbers? I think that might give us a clue as well. So this talk is a, it's a bit of a, an early stage. We've got the structure, we've got the sequence of the, of the buildings, but there are, there are mysteries still. And I suppose that's what I like. If it was all known, it would be boring. Um, that's why I'm giving less and less talks about Bishop's House, so we more or less know everything we're ever going to be able to find out. But Musrick Hall still has, even though it's 250 years younger than Bishop's House, it, this town has its mysteries, but if any of you don't live in Mearsbrook, shame on you, you need to. <laughs> um, but please visit, it, it's a lovely part of Sheffield, and we, we're so lucky, we've got these two wonderful buildings, Mearsbrook Hall and Bishop's House. Uh, Bishop's House was built in um, 1554, and this is, I think, 1759. I think we're very, very lucky people having these, these two wonderful houses on our doorstep. And I'm a very lucky bloke being asked to survey both of them. Um, so that, that just ends it really. It gives you a winter before the one gone. You can see the hall. It's very difficult to see it in its entirety now just because of all the vegetation. It's a very rare time you can actually see it. So really it, it goes from earliest there, next earliest, perhaps 1700, we don't know, perhaps pre-1700, 1759, 1819. What I want, um, hopefully this year, uh, the archaeology department are going to do some survey work, and I want to twist young Colin Mary's arm, get him to do some resistivity work over there, because the old Sheffield to Derby Road just goes underneath here somewhere. You might pick up traces of it, whether any of it remains or not, I don't know. And the Roebuck's garden would be here. But I think, looking at the photographs, a lot of this soil has been piled up in the 1950s, so it may be too deep for resistivity to show, but Depends how much I can, I can twist his arm. I can't, I can't bribe him with anything more, can I? <laughs> Damn. We'll, we'll try. I think the university enjoys getting into these little projects, so we'll see. They're hoping to do another excavation of the bandstand, which is over there uh, in the summer. So um, they might be looking for things to do, so we'll, we'll ask them anyway. Uh, and that's, uh, that's when it was Ruskin Museum, going back a, a century and a bit. There's little steps there, which I was told. Led up to that window there, where people came to get their wages at the end of the week. And, uh, I love this bit here, which um, I blew up. See your new book? The old uh, thing about English workmen just leaning on things. Never really working. Yeah? So, nothing changes. Nothing changes. Yeah. Okay, right, that's it. I'm finished. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Archaeology and Ale. For more information about our podcast and guest speaker, please visit our page on the Archaeology Podcast Network. You can get in touch with us at Archaeology in the City on Facebook, WordPress, Instagram, or Twitter. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Next month, our guest speaker will be James Wright from the University of Nottingham, here to speak to us about ritual protection of buildings against evil. See you next time. This show is produced by the Archaeology Podcast Network, Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle in Reno, Nevada at the Reno Collective. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.